I might get loud. I don't know. Thank you guys for um, kicking it with us and being with us as we kind of figure out the flow of everything. Worship team, thank you so much. You guys are just super anointed, and it was just a pleasure to watch you step into what you do best and, and learn to co-labor with each other. It's a, it's a very beautiful thing. It's a very beautiful thing to, to watch. Um, I have a teaching today on the law. I titled it The Law, Understanding, and Revelation. Um, there's quite a bit of material here. There's probably, I don't know, maybe about 60% scripture, 70% scripture, and the rest is just commentary. Um, man can only say so much, but God says, it's, says, it's, says it best. Um, so I'm trying to, to lean on him through the teaching today. I kind of got caught up in all of the excitement. Uh, it's really awesome being here for the first time and, and having friends and, and family surrounding. And, and this is the first thing. This is the, the time that we've been waiting for. Um, but as Jess was praying over me, I, I quickly got humbled. There was a, a time in my life where I used to really want this microphone and I really wanted to be on stage. Um, but at that point in time in my life, I was also very prideful and I had a very hard heart. And the closer that I got to this moment, the more and more I wanted this less. And the Lord has just been humbling me and bringing me to a place of understanding the importance of teaching his word and knowing that I have people in front that are listening and receptive. Um, so it's very important that what I say is, is his word and it's true. Um, so today's word, today's teaching is on the law. It's titled The Law, Understanding, and Revelation, and I have four sheets of paper here, and they're front and back, so there, there's some stuff to get through today. Um, if you have ever been in a, in a sermon in church, I, I don't know, maybe it'll kind of be like that. I, I really don't know. Um, this is my first public teaching, so we're going to walk through it together. Um, so the Lord put the law on my heart for a little while now. He's been speaking it to me, and the law being the Ten Commandments, and now we're under a, a new law, the law of life with Christ. And I always knew that Jesus died for our sins, but the Lord kind of put some context to it and some scripture and some background. So we're going to go through this. We're going to take it back to the beginning. If you don't know where to start, go back to the beginning, right? So in the garden, it was perfect. There was no sin, there was no curse. There weren't cancer or wheelchairs or anything that was um, bad. There was no curse, no sin. And in Genesis 3.22, we know that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. And I'm gonna be going back and forth between Genesis, Galatians, and Ephesians, and Romans. So it's kind of a little bit of a, a mix up, but they all talk about the law. Um, and I always find it interesting that when Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin did not enter the earth. It was only when Adam ate from it. And I don't know if you've ever pondered that before, but when Eve ate from the tree, sin did not enter. It was only when Adam did. 
And the Lord's been speaking to me a little bit about this. And I believe because a, a piece of him was taken out and Eve was formed and God breathed life into it, you can kind of look at Adam is Christ, the head of the household, the head of the church, and Eve, the bride, just like we're the bride. Now, the bride sinned, but the head was faithful, so all was well. But when the head sinned, they both fell and were kicked out of the garden. Um, that's just one possibility, but I find that interesting that sin did not enter the world when Eve partook of the tree, but when Adam did. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people, no one being able to stop it or escape its power, because they all sinned. We see that when man rebelled, it opened up the door for sin, and then sin opened up the doorway for death. And we know that death is separation from God and leads to, leads to an eternity in hell. We fell out of grace with God when we were kicked out of the garden, and a curse was then put on man. Man was separated from God. Not an ideal situation, and honestly, man was pretty hopeless at this point in time. Then Abraham comes, and man is given a promise. That promise was that he'd be a father of many nations. God told him that he would bless him greatly and would multiply his seed greatly like the stars of the heaven and like the sands which is on the seashore, that his seed would possess the gate of his enemies. I love that. And his seed will all the nations of the earth be blessed because he has obeyed his voice. That was Gen 22. And in Galatians 3, to kind of back that up, just looking a little bit more towards the New Testament. Now the promises in the covenants were decreed to Abraham and to his seed. God does not say, and to seeds, as if referring to many persons, but as to one. And to your seed, who is none other than Christ. The whole point in time, back from the garden, the whole way up to Christ coming, it was a setup for Jesus. Man fell out of garden, out of the garden, out of um, relationship with God. There was no way for us to get back in right standing with him. But God had a plan, and he started setting it up when he gave Abraham a promise. Romans 5.13, sin was committed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone when there is no law against it. So man was separated, but they now had hope because they had a promise. But there wasn't a law to charge sin against them. So they were kind of chilling. They were doing all right. Then Moses came and created the law. And that was in Exodus 20. And in Exodus 20, 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you in order that the fear of him, that is a profound reverence for him, will remain with you so that you do not sin. All right, page one down. The Ten Commandments comes with a very powerful demonstration of God. God's up on Mount Sinai, fireworks going off, lightning's happening, the ground's shaking, and the people are, quite frankly, just pooping their pants. And the purpose of the law, man, I thought that'd get a little giggle. <laughs> I really thought so. I thought, I, I knew, that was for you, Cody. I knew you were coming. Man, oh my gosh. 
Cody and I, we've known each other for a while. I mean, it goes back a, a good ways. We used to take our first poops together. Mine were adorable. His was just a disaster. Um, all right, back to the word. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Um, so when God comes and gives the law, it comes with a very powerful demonstration of him. The law and the importance of it is to direct people on the way of living and to give them a profound reverence, a, a fear of the Lord. He's a very powerful person and he is very holy. He's not powerless. And Galatians 3.19 says, why then the law? What was its purpose? So the, the word's going to tell us. It was added after the promise to Abraham, and you can see I'm kind of giving a, a timeline here chronologically of the man falling, Adam, and to the law, and ultimately to the law of life. It was added after the promise to Abraham to reveal to people their guilt because of transgressions, that is to make people conscious of the sinfulness of sin. And the law was ordained through angels and delivered to Israel by the hand of a mediator, Moses, and the mediator between God and Israel to be in effect until the seed, Jesus, would come to whom the promise had been made. Unlike the New Testament, where the Lord writes his law on our heart, the moral law on our heart, the Old Testament was written on stone. And I find this really interesting, but that could be the importance of why God takes a heart of stone and turns it to a heart of flesh. Once again, he's always pushing towards... Wow. That, that thing goes, that thing hits. He's always setting up Christ. He's always looking towards and pointing to Christ. A heart of stone to a heart of flesh. The old commandments on stone, and then the, in the New Testament, they're written on our hearts. Um, but Jeremiah 31, 33, which backs up this, uh, this statement, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. God loves his people. He, 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 do you think like he enjoyed kicking Adam out of the garden? He did not enjoy that at all. He loved walking with Adam in the garden. That man was blameless, righteous, and, and upstanding. He, he was doing well, walking with the Lord, had a relationship with him. And it grieved the heart's Lord to kick him out. And from that point, once again, he had a setup. He had a plan. It was always pointing to Jesus. And look at him. He's like, I will be their God, and they will be my people. That is his desire, is that you know him, and he knows you. God calls him to himself. He's holy. And he needed people to recognize their filth and their transgressions. Like the verse above, it says the, the sinfulness of their sin, <laughs> recognizing that. <laughs> We need to recognize our sin, which is only realized through the law, the purpose of why it came. Man, at this point, was still separated from God. We had a promise through Abraham, which ultimately would lead to the seed, Jesus. But now we had the law, which was condemning us in our sin. So that's not good. There's a law holding us accountable to our sin, and we need a way out of that thing. 
Romans 5, 14 and 15. And I know some of this is very like elementary to you. And, and some of you, like you know this, and this is kind of brushing up, but I, I even found freedom through this understanding the law and the importance of it. Once again, I knew Jesus came for us and, and to remove our sins and the penalty of it, but he's never really put a timeline on it or backed it up with scripture for me. And, and I hope today that someone will be set free from, from the law, from religion. So Romans 5, 14 and 15, yet death ruled over mankind from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, just keeping that chronological order going, even over those who had not sinned as Adam did. Adam is a type of Christ, a type of him who was to come, but in reverse. Adam brought destruction. Christ brought salvation. If it was the other way around, if Christ Christ came first to bring salvation, then Adam came and brought destruction, it wouldn't be good. Destruction happened, and then salvation came. It was just in reverse. It's a setup. For if many died by one man's trespass, oh, I got to go back to verse 15, but the free gift of God is not like the trespass, because the gift of grace overwhelms the fall of man. For if many died by one man's trespasses, which was Adam's sin, much more abundantly did God's grace in the gift that overcomes, or that the gift that comes by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the benefit of the many. Adam, he was in the garden, righteous, blameless, free. There was nothing wrong with him, walking with the Lord, an upstanding uh, relationship with him. But he fell, right? So to restore this, it would take another man who was blameless and righteous and in right standing with the Lord, nothing spotted against him. And not only would he have to be in a right relationship with God to restore that, he would have to die and come back from the dead to break the contract of death. It's a setup. The issue is that all men are born dead. We're born into a sinful world. Since man have fallen, there's been a curse that's been put on this earth. Once again, rebellion allowed sin, which allowed death, which leads to hell. And that is still transparent. That is still, um, I don't want to say transcending time, but that is still apparent today. That still applies for today. And God's anger, which was poured out on the cross, is still realized today for those who do not accept Jesus. So those two factors are true and stable and constant, but Jesus, and we're going to get there, I promise. So we're born into a curse, and we are born needing a Savior. This means that man cannot restore our relationship to God alone. It would take God himself in human form to restore and redeem that relationship. It would take God being born of human and spirit in Mary. And kind of looking back to, that was page two, just a couple more, we're doing well, guys. Um, kind of looking back to how Eve, she didn't sin when she ate from the tree of the fruit of, or the tree of uh, knowledge. And it's just interesting that obviously women bear children, but the Savior came from a woman, and the man didn't put the seed in her. It was the Holy Spirit who did. So I don't know. There's still something there with that. I, I'm, I'm working out. If you get something, let me know. But not only would God himself 
have to take care of the sin issue, he would need to remove the curse. And he would have to, not only would he have to remove the curse, but he'd have to find a way to walk with man again like he did in the garden. I appreciate you guys hanging out with me. Um, this is really cool. Now we're getting to Jesus. All right. So there was like some of the chronological leading up to Jesus. So Jesus was crucified and resurrected, and Romans 6 has some really powerful statements about crucifixion and burial. Uh, we were co-crucified with Christ, we are buried with Christ, we rose with Christ, we ascended with Christ, and we were seated with Christ. Those are some six very powerful confessions that when you understand the reality and the power behind them and you start to speak them over your life, it will start to shift and change things when you understand that reality. Romans 7, 2, and 4 talks about a married woman as an example, just as an example. A married woman is bound and remains bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released and exempt from the law concerning her husband. Accordingly, she will be designated, well, I'm just going to skip verse three. We'll go to four. Therefore, my fellow believers, you two died to the law through the crucified body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. This is how Jesus overcame death on the cross. Um, he had to break the contract, just like a, a married woman is married, um, and it talks about separation through a husband's death. Through Christ's death, he broke the contract with death, um, which is really good. And he came alive, which is even better news for us, because not only did he take away the penalty, well, we're going to get to sin, not only did he remove the door of death, he brought life. Dying broke the contract of death, being raised from the dead, with the keys of the bottomless pit in hand, allowed Jesus to be the firstborn of death, death thus giving him power over death and bringing forth life. All right, now we're going to talk about the curse. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs crucified on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might also come to the Gentiles so that we would all receive the realization of the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. The curse was broken by Jesus becoming the curse. The curse that was placed on man from the beginning when we fell only could be removed by Jesus, a perfect person, becoming a curse for us. But that blessing, but the blessing that was promised to Abraham was then realized in Christ at the moment of Pentecost because he wanted to write his commandments on our heart, write the moral law on our heart. He wanted to be our God and, and him be our God, him be our God, and yeah, we're going to be together, something like that. It was that verse prior. Anyways, um, yeah, he took the curse out. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you guys for this moral support up here. I really appreciate it. Face is not red and my heart is not beating fast at all. All right, so he, he beat death 
by dying on the cross and coming alive. He beat the curse by coming, becoming a curse on a tree because it says anybody who hangs on a tree, on a cross, is cursed. So he took that curse on us, but he broke the contract by dying. So when he died, the, those contracts, they're done, they're nullified, they're void, they're, they're, they're no longer any good. But he rose again, which is really good news for us because he's bringing life. And the same thing here of sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake he made him to, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect, but he became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So now we are walking in his righteousness. And when God looks at the cross, he sees you. And when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He always wanted to be inside with us and walk with us, just like he walked with Adam in the garden. And how does he do that? Well, he has to remove the penalty of our sin. That's why we were crucified with him on the cross. So even today, our old man is hanging on that cross. And when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. Because that same resurrection power that would kill a priest who would walk into the Holy of Holies is living inside of us today. That is how he walks with us. So he removed death, he removed the curse, and he removed sin all through Jesus and the completed works on the cross. This is good news. And you might have heard of the Bible verse before, like, oh, death, where is your sting? Sin is the sting, and, and death is kind of the venom. But sin has been <laughs> removed. So, oh, death, where is your sting? And we can, I don't want to say jaunt or laugh at it, but it's just, it's just like in Christ we are so alive and so free and no longer bound. And I want to kind of keep drawing that down. If rebellion allowed sin and sin death and death led to hell, then faith allows righteousness and righteousness brings life and life brings an eternity in heaven. The cross really does it all. You don't need anything else, just Jesus. Romans 5, 20 and 21 reads this, but the law came to increase and expand the awareness of the trespass by defining and unmasking sin. But where sin increased, because now the law came and defined it, so everyone's like, oh crap, I'm really sinning. Sin really increased. But God's remarkable, gracious gift of grace, his unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness. There's that word again. Which brings eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So even though sin is rampant in our lives, we can overcome this through his righteousness. Um, Earlier, about a week ago, or earlier in this week, I was reading over a scripture, and I read it wrong. Um, it was David in Psalm 35. He was talking about, hey, Lord, would you judge me? Because his enemies were coming against him. And if the judge rules in your favor, that's a good thing. You receive the inheritance. You receive the ward. Like, you're justified. Judgment is a scary thing, but it's a good thing if the judge rules in your favor. And I was like, man, David was really bold to ask God to judge him. And I was like, God, do I, do I want to ask that of you? Like, if I ask you to judge me, God, what's going to happen? And I wasn't ready to pull the trigger on that one. I was praying through it. And uh, Jeremiah and I, we were, we were having a conversation, and he's like, dude, I don't, I'm not reading where it says 
David asked for him to judge him, but he's like, judge me by your righteousness. And that puts a whole different context on things. When we are judged by Christ's righteousness, no longer does it matter our faults or our sins or our trespasses or transgressions or iniquity, anything that we have ever done. It's not based on us, but it's based on his righteousness. And that's what he's done with us. So when he judges us, it's based on his perfect life, his perfect will. So no longer should I, I don't think I should ask God judge me on, on my works because if I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. <laughs> but God, I got what I was worth. I got what I was worth. I was redeemed and justified and paid for with a price. Christ looked at me and said, hey, you're worth it. So we can ask him to judge us based on his righteousness. Now that death has been broken, the curse has been broken, sin has been broken, and, and life has come, and we're walking in his righteousness, I want to talk a little bit about the temporal and the eternal, and how that can equip us to move forward. I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. And I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth with these scriptures, read a scripture, give some commentary, and uh, we'll get to the end. For the love of Christ, verses 14 and 15, that was 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls and compels us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that all those who would live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for their sake. This is cool because it is no longer I who am alive, but it is him who is alive in us. Remember, we're hanging back on that tree and our life is not our own. When he looks at the cross, he sees you. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. It's no longer I am who am, it's no longer I who live, but Christ inside of me. And we should be a living sacrifice, crucifying our flesh daily, picking up our cross daily. You can kind of look at this as a boat on water. And you're the boat, and the water is God. You have all of God, but he doesn't have all of you. If there's a hole in your boat or the water comes aboard and you are submerged and you sink, at that point in time, God has all of you. So you, you cannot get more of God, but he can get more of you. And this is, this is how Christ is alive inside of us. When we put off our old self and we put off our old man, Christ comes alive inside of us. And this is the importance of crucifying the flesh, picking up our cross daily, and allowing him to come alive. So I encourage you to let him get more of you. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view according to worldly standards and values. Though we have known Christ from a human point of view, now we no longer know him in this way. This is cool. They regard no one from a human point of view. 
Now, this isn't taking out empathy or compassion or love for others, because if you do not have love, you have nothing. But they do not look or regard other people as humans anymore, because we know that flesh and blood is not who we fight against, but it's powers and rulers and dark forces, principalities, and all sorts of evil in the ages to come. They're looking beyond what they can see with their eyes, and they're saying, hey, something supernatural is going on here. And this is cool because it also kind of helps level the playing field so no one can be better than another person. Uh, the Lord also says you cannot claim a, spir a spiritual superiority um, where in the flesh and earthly standards, you know, one might be wealthy or have stature or, you know, grow or, or do this and that. In the spiritual, the playing field is very even and nothing is hidden. Everything is open. And we all fall short of the glory of God, all need a savior. So no one is better than anybody else. We are born into, you see where I'm going here? Like no one can claim a, a spiritual superiority. We're all one in Christ. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ that is grafted in, joined to him by faith, in him is Savior. He is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition, have passed. Behold, I love the word behold in the Bible because you know something profound is going to come after that. Behold isn't like, hey, behold, look at that. It's like, behold. I love that. Behold. Behold. I'm, I'm serious, though. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. We are born dead in our sin. We are incapable of reconciling ourselves to God. We could never, what's the word? We could never bridge the gap to get to God. We are worthless. John 15 says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. But if you do not abide in me, I will not abide in you. And apart from me, you can do nothing. When we were separated and apart from God, we could do nothing. But in Christ, we're a new creature. This is exciting because, once again, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who is inside of me. We're, we're, we're no longer worthless anymore, condemned by our sin that the law brought in the fall of man. But God's grace and love and freedom has come. He has made his home inside of us, and we are a new creature. We have power. We have the Holy Spirit, and we are free. Behold. Verses 18 and 19. But all these things are from God. <laughs> so good. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, we might bring others to him. That is the God, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them. And he was committed to us, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation that is restoration to favor with God. This was not our idea. This was God's idea. He was not holding people's sins against them, but working to cancel them. He wants a right relationship with you. He isn't mad at you. He isn't upset with you. He's not pointing a finger at you, ready to strike you with a lightning bolt. He loves you, and he wants to talk with you and walk with you like he did Adam in the garden. This was his idea for Christ to come. This was his idea that we would become a new creature. This was his idea to be forgiven of our sins. He was the one who initiated it. Verse 21, I know I skipped to 21. I'll come back to 20. I want to end on 20. I have a couple more verses after that, but that's why I'm wearing my ambassador shirt today. Verse 21, he made Christ who knew no sin to judicially be sin on our behalf so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. Now, this is realized through faith in him. The only way that we can become the righteousness of God is by believing in and trusting in him. Remember that we're hanging on the cross and he is alive inside of us. But a lot of times we like to take our old man who is dead and toxic and full of sin and filth off of the cross and try to put him on. And the issue is when you go to the cross and you try to take yourself off of the cross and, and put your old habits on and put your old self on, you're putting dead, smelly carcass flesh on you that is infected and gross and full of all bad things and, and you're dead so it's a lot of weight you know when someone is dead weight and they're just laying there and you're trying to pick them up or something it's really heavy there's a burden there's a burden that comes with putting on your old man and it's not free and it takes from you and it doesn't give you give to you when we take ourselves off the cross and try to put our old man on, we're trying to put on a wounded nature. But the Lord says that we're supposed to be partakers of a divine nature, which is only realized in Christ, in his righteousness, through faith. Verse 20. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Thank you, Lord. As though God were making his appeal through us, we, as Christ's representatives, plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. When we are walking with Jesus in this newfound freedom, because it was his idea to, and I was going to use the word inseminate, but merge with us, <laughs> a new creature. It was his idea to remove the penalty of our sin, 
Not only did he free us from death, a curse, and sin, and give us life, but he also deputized us and gave us power and authority. I know that in the flesh, we still look like people. We still have shoes and clothes, and we drive cars, and some have long hair, and some have no hair, okay? But that's just the flesh. That's just the temporal. And remember that we regard no one based on their humanity anymore, not taking away the love aspect, but there's a spiritual thing that's going on here. We are not a, a, a body that has a spirit. We're a spirit that has a body. When we die, we're eternal. Even now, we are living in eternity. Eternity doesn't start when we die. Eternity starts right now. We're living in it. So God has deputized us and created us and, and, and given us the authority to walk as an ambassador for Christ. What's it say? As though God were making his appeal through us. So when I go to a bum knee that's hurt or someone who is demonized or a situation that does not look the best and needs to be turned around, and I go and say this thing in Jesus' name or knee be healed or demon come out or whatever it would be, it's as if God were making his appeal through me. Once again, not his idea, or not our idea, but it's his, by faith in his righteousness. So you guys might have thought you're just normal folk living a day-to-day life, but that's not the case. You are free and loved and alive and walking with power, deputized by God as an ambassador for Christ. And when you speak, it's as if God was making his appeal through you. That's cool. It's not our idea, it's his. And I want to bring home with the last four scriptures here. Um, and I want, to, I want to show that this stuff is based on faith. It's not based on the works of the law, because we're looking through the message of salvation through the lens of the law, right, and how Jesus overcame it. Well, let's look at it through the lens of the law and the lens of faith. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. So understand that it is the people who live by faith with confidence in the power and goodness of God who are the true sons of Abraham. So then those who are people of faith, whether Jew or Gentile, hair or no hair, are blessed and favored by God and declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing with him, along with Abraham, the believer. See, Abraham believed in a promise, and by faith, we are accessing that today. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you hope for something, faith is then produced. It's not like I got to muster up the faith for this and, and you know, to, to make this thing happen. No, you have to hope for and believe in it first. Where the world says, I need to see it to believe it. In Christ's world, we need to believe it to see it. Abraham believed it. And, by to, and today, by faith, we are seeing it. Galatians 3.10 
This is a key, pay attention here. We're coming to a close, you all are doing really good. Only two of you fell asleep. For all who, I'm not, I'm not gonna point. Um, for all who depend on the law, seeking justification and salvation by obedience to the law and the observance of rituals. What does that mean? If, if you are following the law, if you are using the law as your guideline, that you shall not kill or steal or you know slander against your, your parents or, or blaspheme against God or adultery or idolatry, if you're using that as your basis and that's how you are being justified, if you are you know, shaking your feet three times before you go in the door and that gives you good luck or weird things. If you are depending on the law, you are under a curse. The, and this isn't me speaking. If you're upset about that, this is, this is the Lord. This is in Galatians 3.10. You can check it out. But if you are depending on the law to justify you, you are under a curse. But Jesus defeated a curse. He, he, he took the curse on on the cross, and, and he defeated it by becoming a curse on the tree. Yes, that is true, but you can also put that curse back on by trying to be justified by the law that you were set free from. Don't do that. That's putting your old self on. That's taking your wounded nature and not partaking in the divine nature. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So if you mess up just a smidge, which you're going to because no one could live a perfect life other than Jesus, you're cursed. So put your trust and faith in Jesus and lay that thing to rest. And this is probably becoming one of my new favorite verses it's Galatians 3.5, and this is my final verse, and, and we are here at the end of the teaching, and we'll take a, a moment for restrooms and, and eat some hot dogs, and um, then we'll get into a time of, of ministry and laying on the hands, or maybe that'll be in reverse. We'll feel the room here. Galatians 3.5, so then, does he who supplies you with his marvelous Holy Spirit and works miracles among you do it as a result of the works of the law which you perform. Does he, God, supply you with his Holy Spirit and work miracles because of the works of the law that you performed? Or because you believe confidently in the message which you heard with faith? It's not the first one. God will do what he says. He's not a liar. His word never returns void. If he says you will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And it's not because of anything you did. It's not based on the works of the law that you kept or you performed. You could never run far enough, fast enough, good enough. That's why Jesus had to come. God does not perform works of miracles or give you his Holy Spirit based on you, but it's based on believing with faith in what Jesus Christ did. So I'm going to pray us out. That's my message. Father, I thank you that you are a good, good father, that you are not upset with us, that you are not angry with us, 
You're not pointing a finger and wagging it at us, but you have open arms, just like a good father in life who would want to embrace a son. That is like you, but 10 million times better, God, and more perfect and just. Father, I thank you that when we sinned and rebelled against you, you could not stand to be apart from us that you didn't give the law to say you need to follow these rules or I'm going to hit you with a lightning bolt. But, Father, you were not holding us against the sin against us, but you were trying to remove it from us. You had a perfect plan from the start, God. It says that in the Bible that nothing was created unless it was through you. So even sin and death, God, was something that you knew of but you had a plan B, and that was Jesus. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is perfect, that he does everything. He has done all the heavy lifting for us. That is no longer I who is alive, but him who is alive in me. So, Lord, I just ask that today people would allow God to get more of them, that they would stop whipping themselves on their back and beating themselves up because they stumbled or they fell. But God, I pray that they would be released from religion, that they would be released from the penalty of the law. Romans 8, 1, Father, we thank you for this verse. It says that there's no more shame. There's no, there's no more penalty of sin. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we are in you, God. So I just remove... Every burden that people have been carrying right now in the name of Jesus, a burden that was never meant for them to carry. God, we give you our anxiety. We give you our fear. We give you our depression. We give you, I think I said anxiety, but I'm going to say it again because it came up, anxiety. We give you our nightmares. We give you areas of our life where we continually sin, God. God, we, we give it all to you. You are a big, big God, and you can handle it. And it's not based on us anyways. It's on you. It's on your word. So we put the ball back in your court. But today we choose to release it. Today we let go of the curse of the law, and we step into the law of life. I bless you, God, and I thank you for this deeper understanding of the completed works of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.